Welcome to It's Happening, a college career podcast hosted by the Career Services Center at Marquette University. I'm Gracie Van Spankeren, and I'm a career counselor. And I'm Maria Mostek, our associate director. Here's the show. We're so excited today because we actually have two guests. Normally, we only invite one person onto our show, but this is your two-for-one special. So I'm super happy to welcome Dr. Deanna Arbel and Aaron Jones to the show today. Um, Dr. Arbel, will you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. I'm an assistant professor in the biological sciences department, and um, my laboratory studies rhythms and obesity and glucose metabolism. And our primary uh, model for doing this is in mice. Um, but the questions that we're interested in um, are applicable to humans. And hi, I'm Aaron Jones. I'm a fourth year graduate student in the biology PhD program. And my research topic focuses on circadian rhythms and breathing. Very cool. Thank you both for being here today. One of the reasons that I invited Dr. Arbel, who actually was able to bring Aaron onto the show as well, um, was because I've been having a lot of conversations with students lately about grad school and people who want to pursue mm -hmm. master's and doctorate degrees. And so we're hoping that through this conversation, we can shed some light on what that looks like, how grad school is different from undergrad and all of those questions that for people who are thinking about those paths, those usually pop up. Um, so can you just fill our audience in a little bit more on how do you work together as a professor and as a PhD student? What does that look like? So, um, so I'll start. So basically the way that I imagine the lab, it's basically kind of like running a small business in a way, but instead of the idea of trying to, you know, um, create goods and services, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're analyzing and collecting data and trying to answer questions about um, our key research themes. So as the principal investigator, so that we're often called PI, uh, not to be confused, Private <laughs> investigator. Yeah, I was but, thinking, um, like, are you like Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, there's there's some fun times where we we get to solve mysteries, but not quite to the same level, right? <laughs> so, um, so my primary job is to have an overview of what sort of our ask and to try to figure out the best ways to go about that and to work with the the strengths of my research team of which Aaron is a, is a key part to um, figure out how we're going to address these questions and then the big one is always to roll with the punches right because research never works out exactly the way you want it to be so being able to think on your feet to go where the data is is driving you and to pursue what looks interesting even if it's not exactly your original plan is really important important. So um, that's how I kind of imagine my role here in the lab. And, um, and Aaron um, gets some great positives of being a graduate student. I'll just briefly say what I think is are from when I was a graduate student. Um, so and then I'll let Aaron um, add his two cents. But so one of the great things about my memory is that you are doing hands-on data collection. You are there with the animal models in the case of my lab, collecting the data, you are there on the forefront of that discovery. So if you if you think that I think drug, I think this drug is going to do um, this following behavior, you are there in the lab, first person to determine if you're right. And that's there's a really empowering excitement to that. Um, so that's that's amazing. It's so much fun to be in charge of that and to be designing that and to feel that sense of accomplishment when things go really really well. The downside of being a graduate student is it is a lot of work, and you know it's not 
um, before they go into graduate school, really think long and hard about if this is going to be the right thing to do. So I share a very similar perspective as Deanna in, in that um, it's really exciting to be the one in the lab collecting that data. You're the first one to see those results um, unfold. But at the same time, if something doesn't work out, it can be very disappointing. Um, and you just have to, you know, try again and hopefully see a more positive result next time. Um, so it's, I'd say the good definitely outweighs the bad. Um, and some of the other challenges are that you're, while you're doing these experience collecting data, you're also doing a lot of other things like taking classes, um, teaching classes, and having to deal with the stress of juggling all these different things. But it, it, I definitely say it's manageable. And once you get into your groove, the, the good definitely outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned a bunch of different roles that you have of like you're, you're teaching classes, you're doing research, you're taking your own coursework. And then towards the end of the program, you're also working on your dissertation. So how does that, you know, what is, what is like a, a week in the life look like for you, Aaron? Um, well, being a fourth year, I'm very much focused on my research now. Um, most of the classes you take are done in your first two years of a PhD program. Um, and depending on what sort of funding sources you have available, you could be teaching uh, in your later years, you could not be. Um, so right now, I'm very much focused on research. I'll um, you know, come in in the morning and pretty much do experiments and writing and things like that um, throughout the day. And because we're a circadian lab, sometimes I have to come in in not so optimal hours uh, late at night or even at 2 a.m. occasionally. (laughs) Um, But that's very untraditional. Uh, Most people stay within the standard workday, I'd say. So that's what my typical day looks like. And how how did you choose to to pursue this this program after undergrad? So that's a really great question. I'd like to think that I fall into graduate school the same way that a lot of people do in biology and that, you know, you come from high school kind of interested in biology and so you pursue it in undergrad, um, but you're not really aware of all the opportunities available um, career-wise for a biology student. So most people kind of pursue a pre-health track because that's what they're exposed to throughout life, but not many people think of research um, or it's not on the radar coming in. And so it's very hard for them to picture themselves doing it until they're actually doing it. And so for me, I came into undergrad, like very much interested in um, pre-med, but then kind of partway through, I realized that maybe it wasn't something I wanted to do. And instead, like the the mystery of lab research kind of um, sparked my interest. So I pursued a undergraduate research opportunity, um, kind of fell in love with research that way. And that's kind of what made me want to pursue the, the PhD further. And so here we are. I definitely say the biggest piece of advice would be to get um, involved early as possible, like Mm -hmm. seek those opportunities out early. um, Because as any scientist will tell you, it takes a long time to see those ideas come to fruition. um, And so you need to get involved really early to get the, the most out of uh, undergraduate research experience. Mm-hmm. So freshmen, sophomores need to seek those opportunities out now before they don't have enough time. 
so I think that, you know, um, Aaron is, is really right on the money to, to get to the point where you are able to experience the joy and satisfaction of data, you know, supporting your hypothesis. It is going to take a while. Uh, that being said, I don't think it will take that long for um, an undergraduate to realize if they like research or not. I think mm. that can be established within a semester. Mm. Um, so, and what I've noticed, and this has been both with my experience and also seeing undergraduates in my laboratory, that one of the biggest signs that you are going to like research is if you go into a lab and when you interact with the other people in the lab, they feel like your people. Mm. You know, like I, I'm going to be a little bit, um, I'm going to kind of exaggerate a bit to prove a point, but when you, when you're interacting with those other people in the lab and, and you kind of feel like you're, you feel like, oh my gosh, they're nerds just like me. Like we can hang out and talk about nerd things. And like, this is right. That's, th that is a really good telltale sign that research is right for you. So it's not, you know, do you like holding a pipette or not? Like, you know, whatever you can find <laughs> research without pipettes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the most important thing is to, to look at those people in the laboratory that have committed to the laboratory. So someone who's, you know, been there for a year or more and that they like it. And do they seem to share your values? Do they seem to be, um, you know, one of your people? And I think that's a really good sign that research could be a really good fit for you. Now, that being said, I also don't mean research to have to grow up to be an assistant professor like myself okay there's lots of other things that you can do with research and still be with quote your people okay um and i and then it's my experience that there's a certain um uh there's a certain passion for um investigating uh scientific questions and this curiosity um and again the satisfaction of putting in this work and, and getting something amazing out of it uh, that, that seems to be shared amongst these people um, that, that, are, that are into research. And they go into not only academia, like assistant professors, but into industry. Um, I know a number of people who have started their own companies where they're applying um, research to um, like making apps, for example, and how that is going to uh, help the, the greater good and the greater community. So there's lots of things that you can do with research. So you don't have to be pigeonholed into being, um, into thinking you're going to be the professor uh, that's giving you the lecture classes. That's not exactly what you have to do. And one thing that was popping into my head when you were both talking is there are, we started this by saying we're going to talk about graduate programs or graduate school, but there's also master level graduate mm -hmm. programs too, which don't have as much or maybe sometimes anything to do with research um, in the way you're, you're both describing it. So for people listening, that is something also as an option um, to, to consider. So it's not like mm -hmm. you have to like research to go to grad school. You just may be interested right. in a different type of program. And then consider, though, then what those occupational outcomes could be and how they could be different than a PhD level. Um, so we don't expect you to know all that. So you can also come talk to uh, Gracie or myself or other uh, career advisors, career counselors in our office about that. Mm -hmm. So that's my little, uh, um, what's the right word? Uh, not PSA, but something like that. <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that there's a ton of different graduate programs that are structured all sorts of different ways. And some of them are really 
traditionally research heavy, just with PhD obviously being one of those. Um, and even at the master's level, you can have research heavy masters, but then there's also ones that are more like professionally focused, you know, like if you get, uh, for example, like a master's in clinical mental health counseling, like, yes, you're going to learn about research and how research is done mm-hmm. in the field and about the, the, the stuff that's going on to make sure that evidence-based treatment is being provided. Uh, but ultimately that master's program trains you to be a licensed practitioner in the field versus a researcher. And so you can always continue on if maybe like that, that desire for research is ignited in mm-hmm. one of those different styles of master's programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can also go straight into it, which Erin, um, it sounds like was your experience of jumping straight from a bachelor's into a doctoral program. Right, exactly. And Erin, you're pretty far along in this. So I'm going to keep coming back to you for a sec. What I, I always like to ask, you know, what do you hope to do after you graduate or once you finish your PhD? Right. So um, if you ask that to any fourth year, they're not going to be completely <laughs> sure. That's very much up in the air still. Um, what I will say, though, is I am completely sure that the next step after grad school would be to do what's called a postdoctoral fellowship. Hmm. And this is essentially um, an opportunity for someone that just received their PhD to then go work for another lab somewhere else that has grant money available to you. Mm. And then you can receive some hopefully new, but still relevant training to what you received as a graduate student, uh, just to kind of hone your skills more and get more research experience, but now at the PhD level. Um, And so those are usually about, I don't know, Deanna, what would you say, like two to four years in length on average? Oh my, they, they vary widely. I mean, it's certainly nothing shorter than a year. And um, I have seen uh, postdoctoral uh, fellowships that go on for like eight to 10 years, but that's nope, certainly not the average. Yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. atypical, I think. So I, I think that the typical length that I've seen, and, and, and I'm talking really uh, from the biological science perspective, and, and that was made very clear to me by Maria's the discussion about the master's. So I, I need to make sure the audience is aware that, that the experiences I'm sharing is from, it's from a biology standpoint. Um, so I, I would say typically in biology, the postdoc is, um, uh, I would say happens to about 80% of the PhDs. I think mm. it's pretty common. That's, uh, that's my ballpark here. And it's, uh-huh. I would say the average is about three years. That's what I would say. Um, but that's not always the case. So what I would tell my graduate students, if they're thinking about what they're going to do after their PhD, is to start looking through um, the internet job postings to figure out what their dream job looks like. And if their dream job expects them to have a postdoc, mm-hmm. guess what? You should apply for postdoctoral fellowships. And it is my experience that most p- people getting their PhDs want to go into academia or industry. Those are the mm-hmm. do- two broad things. And the really competitive jobs are going to want a postdoc. That doesn't mean you have to get it. You can still go into academia or industries without a postdoctoral fellowship, but you're certainly going to be much more competitive with it. And um, and, and the general market is pretty competitive. So my it's always my adv- advice to go with that more competitive option of doing that postdoctoral fellowship. Um, and, and because the postdoctoral fellowship is not at all 
like um, an undergraduate degree there. And it's also not at all like a master's. There's no like preset that you have to do this class and this class and this, and then you graduate, you know? So you can, you can establish what the guidelines of your postdoc are going to look like with that um, lab manager in advance or the PI in advance. So they might bring you on as a postdoc with the understanding that you're going to complete one particular project and then that's it and then that's that's the end of your training and that's happy for you that's happy for them so it's a very um in, in that sense it's much more like a um oh, what's the word i'm looking for like an apprenticeship like you know you're, you're really under the wing of that person more sure. so than like a program with specific requirements and the other thing that the postdoc does is it affords you more independence because now that you've um, established yourself as with getting your PhD, um, you should be able to design, carry out experiments. You should be able to do all the um, the background research necessary to come up with a, a, a leading hypothesis in the field. Uh, in other words, you shouldn't have to be told what to do. Mm. And for many individuals, this is fantastic because it's their first real chance to get to do what they want <laughs> on their <laughs> terms. And that's really exciting. That's what a lot of students that end up getting into research kind of want to what they want to do even as an undergraduate like they're like hankering to get some independence and so the whole pathway of the career from undergraduate to graduate school to postdoctoral fellow is increasing that independence um one notch at a time so um so yeah so i i will i will leave it at that but yeah it's it's very um certainly when you get to the postdoctoral level uh it's there's really nothing set in stone it, it's what you um it's what you de de devise for yourself for your career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that piece of advice that you gave that I think applies to really any field, not just um, the like the research biology side of things that we're talking about today, obviously, um, but looking and just doing pretend job searches, like even if you're not planning on applying, just look for keywords that are interesting to you, look at companies that you're drawn to, see what types of roles are out there, what the job titles are, what the qualifications are, because that makes you a smarter preparer in that sense of like, mm -hmm. if they say, oh, we really need strong Excel skills, but you've never made a spreadsheet in your life, maybe that's the thing that you can work on. Maybe you can watch mm -hmm. some YouTube videos and whatnot, or maybe if they, if the types of positions you're looking at all require some sort of master doctoral education that tells you that probably that's going to be a part of your future if you do choose to go down that path. And so even if, it's not like, you know, that the final end where you're actually applying to it can still be a really useful, like, um, I'm imagining like, like a check-in station to be like, am I progressing towards the mm -hmm. types of experiences that would help me achieve and actually be offered a, this type of position down the line when I'm actually ready for it? You know, the other thing that I find really helpful in looking at those, um, those job ads mm -hmm. is it gives you a glimpse of the language that that future job uses. And, um, and like the vocabulary words. And this is something that was really lost to, on me when I was a graduate student. I didn't recognize that until now, that um, I'm gonna compare and contrast academia and industry because it's, it's what I know best for a moment. But industry has a number of different terms and they have abbreviations for like all of them. And they all mean mm. certain things that everyone in industry knows by, by the back of their hand. And if you're an academic, it might not be so obvious. So the one I'm thinking of in particular for an example is that many industry jobs, when they're posting for their ideal um, requirements, will ask that the candidate is aware of GLP. 
And then you are left to wonder what the heck is GLP? Mm -hmm. So GLP means good lab practices. And it's basically a collection of um, uh, standardized um, procedures and techniques that you do in order to ensure that the data you're collecting is rigorous and replicable. So for example, you know, if you write things down in the lab manual, you should write it down in pen, not in pencil. You know, this is, I mean, and I'm just giving one really simple example here, (laughs) but it's an entire like guide. And Mm -hmm. if you go into industry, you're expected to know what these practices are. Mm -hmm. And you're expected to be able to write on your resume that you're familiar with GLP (laughs) Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a long-winded abstract about that you're aware that you have to use pen in your lab books. So this is the kind of language Mm -hmm. and vocabulary that you can also be picking up from Mm -hmm. these um, ideal job uh, postings. You know, what sort of things are they requiring? And if you don't know what that is, some Google searches and figure out what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while this is a lot of work, I encourage students to think about it from a standpoint of um, learning more about the job that they could really enjoy, you know? So, so if you find this, like, I mean, really just slugging through quicksand and annoying, you know, maybe you should um, put that in, in, in your, uh, in your think about later list, you know, why is this so, mm-hmm. so difficult? And maybe that means this is, might not be the quite job for you. Mm-hmm. And um, while I'm on the soapbox, I, I'm thinking of one <laughs> other thing that I wanted to add, which is um, in thinking about what to do with your degree, whether it's an undergrad or graduate uh, degree, um, I've recently stepped away from focusing on job specifics and focusing more on skills that students like. So do you like, do you like working in groups? When they hear the word group project, you cringe a little in the inside, you know, that's <laughs> something to think about, right? Do you like writing? Do you like, um, um, you know, what excites you? Um, what sort of things do you think that you're particularly good at? Um, I remember just to throw my sister under the bus when I found out that her typing speed was like off the graph. I was like, you should use that. I mean, like, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, think about where, how you can utilize that. So, um, so instead of thinking about, um, you know, do you want to be a scientist or do you want to be a business person think about what sort of things you do like and um and i would encourage you to be empowered to to not be afraid to p- try to create a job that uses all of your skills in a new inventive way there's lots of opportunities for that um if you get the right mentorship and the right training those sorts of um possibilities should be open for you I feel like you just said so many wonderful things that apply, (laughs) like you said, to almost anyone listening that's a a student. And so I really actually appreciate that because we had, you shared so many good steps about like the undergrad, you both and Erin, you know, how it progresses to undergrad, to grad, what you do while being a grad student, this post-grad fellowship like the long-term kind of goals and outcomes that one will expect to get while pursuing biology uh, Mm -hmm. graduate work but also you know sharing these these ideas of how to figure out what you enjoy and what you like and who your people are Um, I feel like I was really smiling a lot because I was just like yes 
Yes. All hundred percent. All the things. <laughs> um, so you are like, you're spot on. You can become now a professional career counselor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have some openings. Come work. Yeah. Us. Right. I was like, we're hiring. Please, uh, please send it. Your, uh, <laughs> um, so as we wrap up, I'm wondering if you, both of you can just provide what you think would be a good little nugget of advice for a student who is thinking that maybe a research-based master's or doctoral program would be for them. One piece of advice that I could give, um, if you're kind of on the fence of what you want to do after your undergrad um, and you're thinking of doing like a graduate program that you do perform research in, um, just I kind of alluded to this earlier, just try and get involved, um, reach out to people. And it doesn't have to be a huge time commitment either. And like Deanna said, like sometimes you can figure out like even in one semester, whether you like it or not. Um, So it can even be like very minimal time commitment to figure out whether it's for you or not. But unless you reach out to those individuals, you're never going to find out. My advice would be to, to be in it for the ride and not the destination. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's, um, a really important thing because, um, again, I'm speaking from the perspective of, si- of all science now, not just biology, but uh, science is not linear. It very rarely works out you planned it to work out. And so instead of, um, instead of thinking like, oh, I can't wait until I have my PhD because then um, I'm going to, you know, you envision all of these end goal results when you have that PhD. I would encourage you, instead of looking at it that way, think about the process of going through graduate school. You know, do you like the process of research? Is it fantastic when you're invited on podcasts to talk to people? It is fantastic, right? It's mm-hmm. great. But you shouldn't bank on that happening. Does it feel good when your results are um, held up on a pedestal by the scientific community? It feels fantastic, but don't bank on that, okay? Um, Because unfortunately, I actually think of a lot like in in acting, (laughs) there's a lot of rejection (laughs) in science, right? Just like in in the, I think like in the acting. So it's good to enjoy the ride, enjoy the process and find those everyday moments great because you don't know when those really high, robust um, successes are going to happen. And they are probably not good. And, and I can almost guarantee you, they're not going to happen the way you expected them to. Mm-hmm. So enjoy the ride, not the destination. The destination should be cool too, though, just as an FYI. <laughs> <laughs> just don't necessarily mm-hmm. bank on it being the same one that you thought you were going to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like a meandering road trip and at, mm-hmm. a, a down the line, you accumulate a bunch of initials uh, mm-hmm. after your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's really like a thought, a nice thought and something to consider just in general, right, about our life is it's really the day-to-day stuff that should bring you joy or um, – not even joy, but just, you know, that's what we are living for. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're just always waiting for that destination, it could never come. So Mm -hmm. the thing you do know you're going to have to experience though is the everyday and the the ride. So thanks Deanna and Erin. I feel like you both shed some really interesting light. I I feel like I learned things. So Mm -hmm. that is what I always hope as well. But if I'm learning something, then I'm sure others are too, if I can assume that. Mm 
(laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fair assumption. Okay. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today and tune in next time for our next episode in the season. From all the Career Services Center staff at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, thanks for listening.